Good morning. I'm Frank Kaufman. Uh, I'm doing a piece this morning entitled Types of Knowledge and Intergenerational Relationships. Types of Knowledge and Intergenerational Relationships. Uh, every different society and culture has to deal with the relationship between elder and younger generations that function co-temporaneously in society and cause a society to function and operate. I'm not talking about the sub the sub demographic I want to talk about here this morning are people somehow below 80 or 70, below 80 or 70, and people above say 18, 19, 20. So I'm not talking about little children who by the design of God, somehow willingly do what their parents ask them to do. It's somehow a hardwired relationship and and that most or 99% of all adult people uh, have an impulse to be concerned for the welfare of their little ones. And, um, and then when I hit the upper, I'm talking about 70, 80. I'm talking about people who are elder and still capable of having aspirations, things they're hoping to achieve, things that uh, they want to remain integrated in the larger welfare of society, but they are in their elder years. So that elder group might be yeah, maybe, I don't know, something like 55 to 80, something like that. And the younger group I'm talking about is something like 19 to 35, 19 to 40, or something like that. These two separated groups of people. And I want to I want to examine the relationship between these two groups uh, from the perspective of different types of knowledge. Uh, I, I believe that no culture has it right. And there are two classical oversimplified, but nevertheless helpful categorizations in which you look at what might be called Asian society or vertical society, and then you look at Western society, or it might be more horizontally oriented society. And in the vertically oriented societies, especially like Asian culture, the, the elder enjoys an excessive amount of admiration and surrender as, as the kind of the center point of where value lies is unexaminedly given to any entity or into any individual who is elder. If you look at Western societies, it's often the case that youth is worshipped. Uh, and then in the, in the case of uh, Western society, you see the embarrassing folly of people who simply don't want to embrace the beauty of their own age and constantly imitate youth. Uh, so anyway, good luck to that. I hope, I hope that stops. It's embarrassing to watch, of course, youthful vigor and health and uh, self-maintenance and care and looking as wonderfully, as, as wonderful as one possibly can, staying fit and vital. That, that's not that's different than just dressing, 
like you know anyway i think you get the idea of doing it right and doing it wrong in terms of the benefits and value of youth for western cultures the other thing about both societies is that it is often the case that each generation or group say the elder generation or the younger generation they have certain sorts of certain sorts of uh, disappointment uh, dislike criticisms, uh, frustrations, disappointments with the other group. They often, they often tend to more easily see the problems of the other group rather than the problems of their own. So you'll hear, oh, young people are so-and-so, they're so immature, they don't understand the value of their life, on and on, or something like that. And then, the, and then the youth will often find the elder gens have have their collection of oddities and idiosyncrasies that are just basically endured. Uh, uh, but it, it's, it's usually, it's generally quite good, but still the, the two generations are not necessarily integrated and harmonious and, and involved in shared constructive life for the society as a whole. And that's what I want to address. And I want to address it through the lens of um, type different types of knowledge. So the first thing I want to look at uh, very briefly is the the notion of knowledge itself. When I when I talk about uh, so the the impulse I don't know how it is in the East, but in Western culture the the impulse is to when one introduces the concept of knowledge, one generally uh, subconsciously. In, in the imagistic building of listening to a question or pondering the question of knowledge, you, you hover around the head, the human head. So knowledge is somehow in the brain. That's where it resides. That's where I know things. That's how I know things. I guess a lot of, I guess a lot of that habit of imagining that knowledge resides in the head also has to do with how much of the, how much of the, sensory intake of uh, life in the world happens through the head, namely the eyes and the nose and the mouth. These provide things which are educational or informative, tastes, smells, sights. They're informing and giving us the foundation for what later becomes knowledge. Also, if we take in media designed to inform and educate and improve what we quote unquote what we know that often comes in through some uh, some uh, part of your your head, like you read or you watch TV or something like that. It's the eyes, and the eyes are almost they might very well be the single closest point of input to the brain itself. So it's the shortest the shortest distance to the brain, maybe even shorter than smell. I don't know. But so that's why people tend to have the concept of knowledge as residing somewhere in the head. But the fact of the matter is that the fullness of human knowledge is does not reside in the head. It it resides in the entire in the entire human body. It's just that the main processor is in the head. And so that's our tendency, our habit of mind or habit of unexamined 
kind of venue for pondering questions of knowledge is the head. But for example, um, the knowledge of how muscles tire is actually resides more directly and more profoundly and more immediately, say in the calves, in your calves or in your arms. If one, uh, the knowledge of how muscles tire is only really secondarily maintained in the head, somewhere in the brain is, is secondary knowledge. But the true knowledge of how muscles tire and what that's like and what that means and, and how one should behave once, once this is quote unquote known, that muscles are depleting their resources and nutrients uh, that you should stop walking or stop lifting, or you know when your your arms and legs know when they're endangering themselves. Um, the stomach, all the organs, the uh, the skin. Uh, the skin is an enormous source of knowledge. For example, the knowledge, the knowledge of heat. For example, being burnt, or the knowledge of wet. A really huge point of knowledge. A fascinating point of knowledge. It's only secondarily known in the brain. It's it's kind of the brain has the brain. It's almost like the brain has heard about that. What it's like to be hot, uh, or I mean, if you're talking about really hot, like putting your hand over the stove, the skin or the hand is a greater source of knowledge. So I think that as we, uh, if we are looking to see how the generations can have a more intimate, more fruitful, more productive, more engaged, more integrated um, relationship so that those parts of the relationship in which it's inevitable that the other, other group does not know the other. It's just, it's just natural. There's no way for a 70-year-old to know what it's like to be 20 right now. There's just no way. It's not available. It's not available. There's no way a 70-year-old knows what it's like to have to have developed oneself into the front horizon of one's own aspirations by having lived as a child through the last 20 years. It's unavailable to a 70-year-old person. If they want to know it, they can only know it if it's faithfully and lovingly uh, transmitted or, or reported by a 20-year-old or 25 or 30 or 35 and so forth. Similarly, a 25 or 30-year-old person has zero idea what it's like to be in the world at 60. It's, it's impossible for such a person to know that. So if there's any value for a 35-year-old person to know exactly what it's like to be in the world right in this moment, having had 60 years of experience and knowledge, the only way they can access that or get that is from a person who has done so, who has spent 60 years uh, and has experience and is meeting the realities of the contemporary reality with that degree of knowledge and experience and age and aching bones and having been through three or four diseases, having been through uh, ups and downs in relationships that a young person that has only just, it's on their way. They'll know it too one day. So uh, in, a, in a certain way, so what I want to look at for now is how 
is the is the nature of the knowledge of each of these two different types of groups of people. The nature of the and the reason why I paused to argue against what I believe is the errant impulse or habit to imagine that knowledge resides in the brain, whereas I hold a strong belief that uh, knowledge resides in the entirety of ourself. And the habit of thinking it resides in the brain really leads to a lot of very shallow and errant ways of moving through the world. I'd much rather hear from my hand what being burnt is like than from my brain, who only knows it by neuro neurological reporting. It's As I say, it's heard of it in a certain way. Uh, an example of this is... When I, when I was younger, I used to, all my life I played a lot of uh, street sports, New York street sports, and I used to play a lot of basketball all my life and, and uh, was good enough, good enough to um, be, I was small, you know, not tall. Uh, basketball people think of tall, but sometimes, sometimes smaller people can be very good at the game. So anyway, so I played, I played, I played, I played, I played all through my teens, through my twenties and thirties and forties and things like that. And so by the time you're 30 or 40, anybody who's between 15 and 23 or something like that, who's into the game is, is going to be clearly, clearly physically superior to you, simply faster, more endurance, can jump higher, quicker. If people play ball, you know the difference between fast and quick. They're faster, they're quicker. Uh, everything that operates in the necessity to excel in that type of sport is superior. And yet, I found that even in those years, in the later years when my physical prowess was declining, I could still very often beat young people who were physically superior to me. And that was based, interestingly enough, on my the superior knowledge that resided all throughout my body. And that superior knowledge that resided all throughout my body uh, was acquired through experience. So my experience of playing ball for 15 years longer than uh, a, a younger, more virile, more more uh, powerful, faster, stronger, higher jump. My, the, my knowledge enabled me to often defeat people who were athletically superior to me because of knowing the sport more profoundly for 15 straight years than someone who, by looking at the two of us, should definitely have prevailed every time in every encounter. So this is uh, part of what I was describing in terms of that knowledge result, and so if and so if I'm if I'm playing somebody and uh, I'm I have the challenge or demands to keep up with someone athletically superior to me, I don't have time to think about it. It's not brain work. I'm not. It's not chess. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a fast sport that's moving in in nanoseconds and in micro micro. Uh, uh, Zilla leaders, whether whether uh, a shot is good or bad, and uh, and so it's direct knowledge, it's immediate knowledge, and th that's the type of question and interest I want to s settle upon or focus upon as the lens through which to examine ways of improving intergenerational relationships. So 
So what I want to posit here is that youth represent an entire knowledge base that is in its own form superior to 60 and 70 year old people. They alone, the reason why it's, it's not only a knowledge base, they represent a resource which is superior. Their minds are quicker, they're more alert, and the nature of their, of their mental impulses is actually more appropriate to the nature of the contemporary world. I'm sh- I would imagine that young people can take in subtleties of social media that an elder person would be hopeless at. No matter, even an elder person is extremely good at uh, working with social media. It was the same as basketball. Uh, a young person just has the the innate vigor, even mental vigor, even even in terms of just health and strength and the physicality of knowing is is better. But not only that, they they are more contemporaneously suited. They're better suited to this current the nature of the current time because they are of the current time. They they're the products of the current time. The elder person's formation happened in an entirely different world. And so the the basis of being human in the elder person was formed in response to circumstances, environments, and realities that are entirely different. And so even though elder people believe they know much more than younger people, but that's simply not the simply not the case. And younger people believe that they understand things better than elder people uh, simply because it because a lot of what's going on in the present comes far more easily to younger people. And then tragically, these two groups of people divide from one another. What it is not that either group knows more. What it is is that each group has an entirely different set of knowledge, of skills, of impulses, an entirely different set of valuable elements that they can contribute to the health and welfare of society at large, that if the two generations could find a way of working harmoniously in an integrated fashion, then uh, society would be better off for it. And the two groups of people would not tend to stay separate from one another. The reason why that the groups tend to stay separate from one another is because each group is imposing on the other the expectation that the other abide only by the, the knowledge style that's appropriate to the one they know. In a certain way, you could almost extend it to say it's a form of racism. It's like say, like a person born and raised in, in white culture would say that the only way I can acknowledge that a black person has anything to contribute to the situation here is if they look and sound and behave like what I know and what I've, what I've built, namely white life or something like, or vice versa, a black, a black person saying, I can't, I can't uh, accept anything. This person has to say, they don't know what it's like to have, uh, live in my, in my mind world, in my culture world, and so forth. So even the age thing is a certain type of racism. Why should an elder person expect a young person 
to want to behave like them. It's inappropriate. It doesn't match. Vice versa, why should a young person only respect or want to hear from elder people who, um, who can approximate the mental habits and, and, and cultural responses that the young person is capable of? The benefit and value is when the two groups begin to recognize and appreciate their each one's distinct and separate form of talent, of knowledge, of wisdom, of and contributing. And when you and then when the two groups start to consider one another equal, then then they can seek out each other's contributing elements in a highly constructive way. They're not, they're not equal in that they're any, in any way the same. An elder person, having spent six, seven gen, uh, decades on earth, having gone through, having known life in its long form, having known that every calamity passes, having, having built up the type of character and responses that meet difficulties and calamities and get you through it. An elder person has an enormous amount of experiential wisdom from which a young, young person could gain tremendously. Does that mean that I only want to talk to young people who's at, who are able to imitate the way of being in the world like me? That would be wrong and that would be foolish. Similarly, young people uh, have the have a way of being in the world that's, as I already described earlier, that's not available to uh, elderly people. And and elderly people have the especially difficult mission and job and responsibility to, to listen closely and to try to understand the, the greater and unique wisdom that a young generation person has that an elder person can never have. The important, the most important thing is I believe, anyway, for this for this dialogue to start to become more fruitful, is that each group be itself and simultaneously humble before the greater wisdom, the of the unique style of the opposite group, but but neither need to emulate or imitate or try or try to be false to one's own nature. I hate this. Like it's to me, it's embarrassing to see someone not from a culture trying to behave like they're from that culture. And so when I see when I see structures or groups where young people are are trying to force themselves into the mold of the elder people in order to emulate that behavior, in order to strive or express their ambitions or hope to be hope to be appointed to positions by by abandoning the kind of the wild fury and infinite horizons of youth, this this makes me weep. Don't emulate elder. Don't 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 throw away youthful kind of madness and and, and discovery and, and infinite openness in order to thinking that acting like some elder person around you is a wise move. It's embarrassing. It's like it's like a, a white guy trying to act like a black guy or vice versa. It's, it's embarrassing, quite honestly. And similarly, elder people, they try to, they try to show the young people they're cool or, or they, in order to be liked by young people. And that's just, a, that's just as tragic and embarrassing. The, real, the, the solution 
I guess the simple solution is respect and integrity. Those two things. Respect, presume that the other group has wisdom I'll never have. As a 20-year-old, I'll never have certain types of wisdom that a six-year-old has. As a six-year-old, I'll never know how to be in the contemporaneous world with the same genius responses to it that a young person has. That's respect. That's trust. That's the assumption that the other group has something that I, I myself cannot know outside of a loving and respectful relationship with the other group. And integrity, don't try to imitate or be something you're not. Don't try to act French if you're not French. Don't try to act 20 if you're not 20. Uh, go, go and be, go and be uh, uh, an African. Go and be a dead-out African in France. Then, then the two groups can start to really appreciate each other, learn from each other, benefit from each other. And the same is the case with intergenerational relationships. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Um, be back with you sometime soon.